Michael Conforto, thank you so much. God bless your soul because his clutch home run saved me from yelling on this podcast and it saved the Mets from an embarrassing sweep in Pittsburgh. We'll look back at the comeback win, the brutal series loss, Diaz's struggles, and DeGrom and Doors injuries. Should Mets fans be in panic mode? What does this team need to add to their roster? We'll ask the New York Post, Ken Davidoff. So have some leftover sandwiches with chips in it, of course, and join us for a take a deep breath edition of Amazing But True from the New York Post. Crazy, yo. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Ooh. Welcome back to Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here alongside my co-host, former Met, Emmy Award winning analyst Nelson Figueroa. You can follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio and at Figgy and Y. Joining us later in the show will be the New York Post own Ken Davidoff. But Figgy, deep breaths. Deep For all breaths. the Mets fans in Panic City, let's take a deep breath. Mm. This is your Mets therapy session. Hi, I'm Dr. Brown, and I'm not the soda, but I do drink a lot of it. Listen, this Mets weekend took you on a trip to the Magic Kingdom. You were riding on Space Mountain. From Friday's 4-1 loss, leaving guys on base, nothing happening. Forget about Friday. Throw Friday in the rearview mirror. Because that you forgot there was a game on Friday. Saturday, the Mets, Figgy, are dominating. 6 nothing. Everyone, 6 nothing. You turn the game off. You're having a blast. It's a Saturday night. You're out with your friends. You're drinking. You're having dinner. Whatever you're doing. Whatever you do on a Saturday night. You're having a grand old time. Out of nowhere, Seth Lugo gives up five runs. And you're like, what world are we in? Then they take a, get an insurance run. Brandon Nimmo, 7-5. You're like, all right, sound the trumpets. Seven-line armies out there. They got to pump them up. And then Edwin Diaz implodes. He gives up a grand slam, his second straight blown save against the Pirates. And Saturday night, every Mets fan's ready to jump off a cliff and, and says the season's over. This is just the, the chronological timeline, Figgy. You wake up Sunday to learn that Jacob deGrom is going to the IL and Jacob deGrom's out. You realize Francisco Lindor's out till probably September with an oblique injury. And then it's 6 nothing after the first inning. And you're like, what the hell has happened to the first place Mets? Who are these guys? And then Michael Conforto saves the day. Travis Blankenhorn gets his first career homer. They chip away. They make it 6-5. You're three outs away from a sweep and me yelling on this podcast how pathetic this weekend was. And then that handsome SOB, Michael Conforto, hits a two-run go-ahead homer in the ninth. The Mets avoid the sweep. And boy, my best anchorman voice, that escalated quickly. Rick killed the guy. I mean, wow, what happened this weekend in Pittsburgh, Figgy? Starting back on Friday, we kind of glazed over that one, but the Mets went 0 for 12 with runners in scoring position. 0 for 12. So they had plenty of opportunities. Again, didn't get the big hit. No one came through in the clutch. So they lose that game. Granted. All right, next day, let's see what we can do. Bam, J.D. Davis is back inserted into the lineup, which is another thing. J.D. Davis is back. Why isn't he in the lineup day one? Why is he not in the lineup on Friday? So dumb. You can't ease this guy back into the lineup. He's been out long enough. He's a professional. Get him in the lineup right away. So you go ahead, wait till Saturday. Saturday, he's in the lineup, and it's instant 
offense, J.D. Davis, 2-2 run home runs. You're thinking, man, now we go. And you 6 nothing lead, a guy that probably shouldn't have been in the game, a Seth Lugo. But you figure, again, putting him in not high leverage situations. You said that before when we did the uh, show right before the break and even the second half preview show. Why is Seth Lugo in these non-high leverage situations after mcgill pitched a gem like the, drew smith anyone anybody else could have went in there and, and probably got three outs and lugo winds up giving up as many runs as he has all season combined five runs now you're scratching your head but it's okay nimmo hits the home run you're like this team just doesn't give up the resiliency we keep talking about doesn't matter who it is nimmo hits his only his second home run of the year but the timing was perfect. Now you got a two-run cushion. We're fine. Yeah, sound the trumpets, even though you can't do it on the road. Seven line is there, making it feel like a home game. There are a ton of Mets fans showing up to all these road games, okay? And you're excited about that. Diaz goes out there and can't find the zone, has no consistency, gets lucky with a backdoor bases-loaded slider that doesn't slide and hits the corner, gets the strikeout call. Can we please stop pitching to Nagowski? Can we please... Stop this pitching. freaking clown. Of course, he's number 69. The only nice thing about him is his number, but he is not nice. He's on the naughty list. All I thought about every time he came up to bat with that damn number is going, Jake Brown is going to have a Nagowski jersey because that's his favorite number. And you look at what this guy has done. He didn't have a hit at all with the Cardinals. Gets DFA'd. They pick him up in Pittsburgh. And all he has done is thrash the Mets. And they keep pitching to him. They keep pitching to this guy. Diaz gets ahead 0-2 on 200-mile-an-hour fastballs. He doesn't take the bat off his shoulder. Most of the times uh, with a major league hitter, you see something like that, and it was an RBI situation for him. You see something like that, what do you do? You stay with that. You don't try and trick him when your slider is, is not working at all. And what do they do? They go to the slider, hangs right in the middle of the plate. Luckily, it was only hit 110 miles an hour and took out your third baseman. And it hits off of him and pops in the air, so it's just an infield single. But my goodness, you had him just sitting there waiting. And you know he looked like he was waiting for a slider. He's waiting for a breaking ball. He's waiting for something slower than 100 miles an hour coming at him. Because with Diaz, you don't know if it's coming at his head or dotted on the outside black. Anyway, gets the second out. Now it's only Stallings. Let's see what he can do, right? Let's see if he can handle my fastball. He threw that ball 100 miles an hour about a foot in off the plate. Not by design. It got away from him. Went up and in. I have no idea. Jake, I've never, ever, ever seen a ball get that far in and get barreled up for a 340-foot home run. Grand slam, nonetheless, to win the game. But you know one thing about Stallings. He is an all-or-nothing, swing-and-miss kind of hitter. And what he's looking for is, I'm not going to be late on a fastball. He was stepping in the bucket, which means you're pulling your left foot out, opening up your hips, trying to drive the ball as far as you can, as hard as you can, because you know you're going to have one shot at it. Because once he would have missed that fastball, it was probably going to be two, three sliders in a row that he can't hit sliders. But no, anytime this base is loaded, the rule of thumb is don't give in to their aggression. Make them work for it. So throw a first pitch slider to check his temp. If he's going to swing and swing violently over it, great. You know you now have him behind the eight ball with an 0-1 count and he hasn't seen the 100-mile-an-hour fastball over the zone. I-, I can't even sit there and go, oh, it wasn't a bad pitch. It was just people not thinking. If McCann is up to bat, you know he's not trying to hit a slider first pitch to win the game on a grand slam, he's swinging at a fastball. McCann would swing at a fastball. So why, as the catcher, can he not figure out these guys are looking for this pitch in this situation? Gotta be. And take your chances with the slider. Down and away. Make him roll it over. Whatever it may be. But I digress. He hits the home run. Then that first inning. When you just think it can't get any worse, your second most consistent starter on the team, 
your all-star, goes out there and can't find it. He's all over the place. Base is loaded. The slow dribbler up the line. That is the kind of play that the way you're supposed to make that play. It's either you're going to leave it alone and it's going to be another run that comes in the fourth run just because he hit it so softly and that kills you as a pitcher. But you have to be aggressive off the mound. He ran as hard as he could. And his first instinct was get it, keep it foul before it comes back rolling on the line. Sweeps his glove. Not only sweeps his glove to knock it away and not just grab the ball. But he knocks it over into the on-deck circle, and three runs score. It's like Mazika Magic, except the reverse. Three runs scored on that. I've never seen that before. Yeah, let me break that play down for a second, because Taiwan Walker looked like me when a piece of lettuce or salad approaches me with his glove. (laughs) He swept that thing away, and then he argues, wait till the play is over to argue. It became a bad news bears moment. The ball is on the on deck circle. Why is that ball sitting there, Figgy? I mean, that is a disgrace. And Taiwan Walker's been fantastic all year, but that is the ultimate brain fart. He is the guy that's got to get that. He got it there. The catcher's got to stay. There's no one else who's getting that ball. The third baseman, JD's arguing too, when JD should have been covering third for a guy that was coming around the bases. They're rounding the bases, circling the bases. It was literally out of a Little League game, a T-ball game, not even Little League, T-ball status, Figgy. Should have never swooped it away, play on, argue after, and that maybe would have been the difference in the series and would have been a sweep if it wasn't for Michael Conforto. And that's why Conforto's homer was so big, because if they lose 6-5 and the deciding run was because Taiwan Walker was fighting with the umpire, I would have been screaming today. We would have been outside of our minds, season over, panic city. Luckily, Conforto saved it, but that just cannot happen, what happened in the first inning. And thank God for eight and two-thirds dominant shut out innings from the Mets bullpen because Taiwan Walker has got to be better than that. He's got to know you can't do that. And hey, maybe Luis Rojas, he was right to yell at him. But guess what? The umpire was right when you look at the replay. That was you could you could say either way. You could have said either way. Yeah, it, it was it was too close for the naked eye. It was too yeah. close for the naked eye. And he went with his gut. The umpire said it was in play. You realize, oh my God, it is a game of inches. And now with the HD and the replay, you realize it's a game of millimeters not even inches because things are that close in real time with everything happening umpire was definitely out of position he's normally supposed to stand kind of right on the line to watch and see where the ball is he was definitely inside the line so his view was a little skewed as well but they got it right Taiwan walker got it wrong and tried to make this play and, and flip the ball and just left the ball rolling around in the back point one innings pitched after the debacle that happens the night before and you know now this ball bullpen has to go out there without a longer reliable pitcher like Lugo Diaz is up in the air not sure if you're going to use him again or not because he's probably reeling from what happened to him and you're thinking six nothing man here we go again and now they're going to get swept in Pittsburgh after splitting the series in New York where we sat back and said five out of seven easy Easy. They're going to win five out of seven. And I feel like 90% of Mets Twitter and Mets fans turned the game off. I mean, the weather was so nice Sunday. You're like, I'm going for a stroll in the park. I'm sure you might. I am a, a miserable human being and decided to stay and watch it and was also enjoying the comfort of the air conditioning inside versus <laughs> the profuse heat where I needed sweat towels all weekend. And everyone quit on the team. The people that didn't quit were the New York Mets and maybe Luis Rojas. You know, if, if you want an impression of, of what he might have said to the umpire when he was literally chest bumping him, it might have been a lot of, you super, super, beep, beep, 
beep, beep, you boop, beep, 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 beep. And that's the kind of thing they kind of needed. And I think he had to do that. I think to kick some life into that team. And usually that's kind of like a myth that that kind of thing works, Figgy, mm-hmm. where, you know, the umpire yells and, and injects some life into that team. We've never seen Rojas do that ever. You know, Rojas is the most, he's a robot. He, he's the most mild-mannered guy. So for him to go and do that, it seemed like that might have kicked the ass in the team because the bullpen was dominant and the team chipped away and they got runs. You had a blank and horde contribute. You had Mr. Unclutch become clutch. He leaned into one in a new way. He actually leaned in and hit a home run instead of leaning in his elbow with Michael Conforto. So maybe Luis Rojas's, you know, yelling tirade that got him thrown out after one out. I, I think he may have quit too because I think he wanted to hit Permanti brothers early and get it out of that game and get his sandwiches in. It worked. It ignited some uh, juice into a team that was literally lifeless. They were on life support after that first inning. Yeah, I mean, you, you we talked about that before. Some of the just lethargic at-bats, not good swings, just going through the motions kind of thing. Like, we're fine. It's the Pittsburgh Pirates. You can't play down to your the level of your competition. Not if you want to stay as a first-place team. And that happens a lot. That happens a lot in which they even probably looked at it on the schedule. Man, this is going to be easy. Five out of seven. We just got to go out there and score a few runs. Our pitching staff is the best in baseball. We're going to do this. We're going to. And you have to respect the game, play the game the right way, and find. So this, to me, was as big a win as any throughout the whole season. It's the biggest win. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, again, you said it's the lowly Pirates, but yeah, it's it's you know you get swept in Pittsburgh. Uh, the manager had to do what he did. He had to go to that extent because it then shows the player that it's more than he's just there it's he cares and he is fired up they did their job did they tear the cover off the ball no it really came down to three guys with multiple hits and none of them were named michael conforto but he had the big hit at the biggest moment to give them the lead exactly what you know the doctor ordered for him and the mets because he has yet to find his swing so you're hoping that this is something that can jumpstart him uh, this team can try to get on a roll, but no, we got the injury news. You're losing your ace and your superstar. Who knows how much time? Because if you ask me about Jacob DeGrom's injury, you're looking at somebody who had five days going into the All-Star game and couldn't have an appearance in the All-Star game as you know a representative of the team. And then three days, four days after the All-Star game, he still is not able to pitch and has to get on the IL. 10 days of forearm tightness to that extent is not a good thing. So I, I don't know what it is, if they're just calling it forearm tightness, if it's other things, because you heard him say, you know, we're going to evaluate him day to day. I can't understand that for a guy who's supposed to be the best pitcher on the planet. Every start now, you're wondering if he's going to make it out with you know his arm intact, even though he's throwing 102 with 94 mile an hour sliders. I'm very concerned because 10 days should have been more than enough to get some stiffness or soreness out of your forearm. And that would be more of the reason to panic if you're a Mets fan right now because this team is still in first place. I know that argument's getting old and it's getting slim. With the lead down to two games, the Phillies are playing good baseball right now. The Braves are going for it. Despite Acuna Jr. being out, they went out and got Jock Peterson and Stephen Vogt. Both made contributions immediately and stepped on the field. Vogt had a big hit for them less than 24 hours after they got him. So they're going for it too. So the Mets have a lot of work ahead of them. The division, I'm telling you, it's it's going to get interesting now. Listen, Guillaume and VR could fill in for Lindor, but the Mets are going to have to make a move here. That's the reason to panic is Lindor's out to, to September, and he was getting hot. 
You're losing his surefied defense at the middle, although Guillaume's good defensively. He's not Lindor at shortstop. And VR, you know, can play shortstop, but he doesn't have the range that someone like Lindor does. So you're losing your defense. You're losing a big bat in the lineup. That makes getting Chris Bryant that much more important because then you won't have to play Guillaume VR at third at all. You'll have Davis and Bryant at third. You'll have Bryant in the outfield. You'll have JD off the bench if you need him. Um, he's been hitting so well, it's hard to get him out of the lineup, obviously, with the two homers. But that's the reason to panic right now is the injuries that have come out. After a weekend, you panicked and, you know, death, taxes, and Mets tragic losses in Pittsburgh. I mean, I went through the years, Figgy, and you had Saturdays obviously collapse. Six nothing, you know, that never happens. A six nothing win becomes a loss, and then a six nothing loss becomes a win Sunday. So they got the best of both worlds. 2018, they had a walk off loss. Tim Peterson, July 27th. Something about the 27th of the month, because in 2017, May 27th, they had a, a walk off loss in 10 innings. 2015, they were swept. You know, there's signs where losing in Pittsburgh doesn't mean the season's over. And another 27th, June 27th, 2014, 11th inning loss off Vic Black. And then July 12th, 2013, 11th inning loss as well. So a lot of walk off losses in Pittsburgh just a disastrous time at PNC Park for the Mets and you know you look at these games and you're like oh beat these teams you beat this team that's baseball Susan that's why they play the game because you know all those games aren't a breeze and on the topic of the pitching staff we talked about how good the bullpen was and Aaron Loop man this guy you got to start considering him to take over closer I know Trevor may close it Sunday he's an option he's a guy that can close Figgy but Aaron Loop has a 1.48 ERA. He got out of his own jam. He put himself bases loaded, no outs. He got three straight outs. Huge. And the guy comes out of the game and immediately exits and starts drinking bush lights. I mean, who doesn't like <laughs> a guy that leaves the game and starts pounding brewskis after the game? Do you consider, if not Loop, a May for now to let Diaz get his confidence back a la Yankees doing the role as Chapman, replacing him with a guy like Chad Green? No, Chapman was bad for a full month. A full month of being bad. Diaz, you know, he struggled these last two outings versus Pittsburgh, and it has nothing to do with the team he's pitching against because you're going to use him as your closer against anybody, right? So I, I don't see – I felt like it was, you know, give him a day off. Again, they probably weren't even factoring in, especially after 6 nothing in the first. It's like, all right, shut him down. He's not going to pitch. And then you wind up using May. Well, that's why you have all these different guys who can close. Familia did a fantastic job, two innings. These are the reasons why you try to stack that bullpen as much and why I feel one of the most important moves is getting another reliable late-inning bullpen arm um, so you can mix and match. You cannot have to put everything on just Diaz's plate. He's been outstanding. I, I think we keep we, we, we look at him in non-save situations. I get that. It, it's something that closers do. I don't understand it for the life of me. They should go out there and try to breeze through the three outs even easier because you have a lead, you have a cushion. But some of the guys need that intensity of, you know, game-saving type stuff. He's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. And as long as I, I just saw the sliders that aren't breaking, and I don't want to equate it to the, you know, what, what's going on with baseball in general and pitchers without being able to use 
you know, the sunscreen and rosin, at least, you know, for some guys, they've been doing that for so long that it does take an adjustment. Just using rosin does take an adjustment. It's not nearly as tacky. You're not getting the same spin. You don't see the same break on a lot of guys sliders or a lot of guys breaking balls than you did just, you know, right before June. So he's one of those guys that's on that list to watch. Castro's been one of those guys because he can't throw his change up the same way he hasn't since right around June 1st. So that does worry me. I also look at day and night games and day games because, well, yeah, you're going to wear sunscreen when you're in a day game. At night games, there's no reason to wear sunscreen. So if you go in with sunscreen on you, you're immediately going to get ejected. And that's where the difference lies. Now, days and night games, you're going to see different kinds of pitchers and that's just a fact when you're trying to change the rule in the middle of the season I, I that i understand but i mean a guy like loop has still been dominant i mean there's pitchers who are still dominant out there you know, absolutely because there's pitchers who didn't have to use this stuff or have pitched a certain way for a while loop is the, the way that he attacks hitters and the angle that he attacks hitters from is much different than diaz but you're not seeing that same nasty, just steady, like clockwork. This is the way the ball is going to move. When he throws a slider, it's going to be, you know, outer third of the plate and down and away. And just at 91 to 94, you're seeing hit or miss when these guys are throwing their breaking balls now. I mean, every single one of them, every single one of them, we saw more flattening out sliders between Lugo, even Familia, you had Diaz. You're seeing a lot of sliders that aren't sliding the same way. And that's the biggest pitch, uh, hardest pitch for a, a hitter to hit throughout the years of baseball. You could get to double A, smashing fastballs. Once you got to double A or higher, the biggest change was professional sliders were the equalizer because they look like they're a fastball until the last about 10 feet and then they make a turn. And you, whether they make a turn directly left or go straight down, it's always different from pitcher to pitcher. That makes it difficult for a hitter. I'm not seeing that same kind of bite, that same kind of nastiness. So that's my, where my concern lies. A guy that has that kind of nastiness and that kind of snap on his slider, Jacob deGrom's angle of his slider this year has been different. You just look back last year and the year before, his, it was more sideways moving. It moves down more now at 94 miles an hour. That means that's a lot more torque. That's a lot more spin you're trying to put on it with your forearm. And that's what's happening to him. You're seeing little breakdowns because there aren't many humans that can throw 102 miles an hour with a 94 mile an hour slider with that kind of consistency that he did. And so I, I don't know what it's going to take, but you got to find a way for him to get through the season and be his best at the end of the season, not be you know, breaking down between innings and wondering if he's, you know, can hold the baseball the next inning. So I, I don't know. Baseball is getting for, for the Mets and, and for the pitching staffs. It's getting scary for a lot of them. You know, this is uncharted territory with what they're going through with the uh, rule change, which it was always a rule, but the unwritten rule of, you know, your team's using it. My team's using it. That's not something that's uh, allowable anymore. And there's definitely there's reason to panic here. The Mets ace Jacob deGrom is hurt and has been hurt several times this year a couple trips to the IL all kinds of injuries all around his body their closer figgy I know you say you're not that worried he's given up runs in five of his last seven outings he's given up four two one 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 I mean almost every time he's been going out there he's been giving up runs clearly something's wrong here and there's reason to be concerned but for the fans who say you know I quit season's over we are Mets fans this is a movie every year. So many ups, so many downs, so many in-betweens. And this weekend was truly the perfect example of that. You saw the highest of highs with the comeback Sunday. You saw the lowest of lows an hour earlier with the first inning. I mean, in one game, you saw the high. Saturday, you saw the highest of highs. J.D. Davis, two homers. Nimmo, a homer. You get a homer. You get a homer. 
and then they blow a 6 nothing lead. I mean, this is the life of a Mets fan, and you got to deal with it. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. you got to believe in this team. We've seen awful things. We're seeing it now. We're seeing all these injuries. But you got to battle through it. And you know you're still going to be glued to your TV, even to watch freaking Jared Eikhoff tonight when the Mets go to Cincinnati, and you know he's going to give up three or four homers. But then you're going to go again and watch on Tuesday. And this is why we are Mets fans. This is why we do what we do, Figgy. This is why we root for this garbage team that we love so much. (laughs) Who has given us zero World Series in my lifetime? But guess what? I believe I'm still here. We're still here. And they'll find a way to get through these murky waters. And believe it or not, I really trust the front office. And I trust Uncle Stevie to go make moves. And we'll close on that before Ken Davidoff. Moves have to be made. You have to get a starting Absolutely. pitcher. You can't keep throwing yep. off Jared Eikhoff. And now you need a reliever, and you probably need a bat. But most importantly, a starter and a reliever, you badly need those two things. And not garbage guys. You need, at this point, like a number three starter, and you need a pretty good reliever that could set Carrasco's coming all back. Up. Don't worry. Sit back and watch. Yeah, Carrasco's well, he back. is, but you still need a uh, pretty good starter as well. I agree. I agree. I think those two main pieces, I don't know. We're going to be, I think we're going to be surprised about who is the uh, actual trade piece that they get because Bryant comes in, you're going to sit J.D. Davis, you're going to sit Dominic Smith, you're going to sit Michael Conforto. I, I don't see that happening. I just don't. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I like, of course, I liked it. If J.D. Davis is out for the year, then yeah, great. I wish he could, Brian. if Brian could play shortstop, we are set, but I don't, I mean, maybe he yeah, could, he has crazy. a try. Let's, let's throw let, him out. Let's there. not, see what let's happens. not get crazy. Let's have some fun. Let's not get <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get crazy, but yeah, I, I think you're you're just hoping Lindor's oblique injury is never fun. Um, oblique injuries, just when you think you're healed and you've taken 100, 200, 300 practice swings and it feels great, all you do is give that max effort swing again and try and check your swing and all of a sudden the oblique goes again and they can be very, very maddening for both the player, the staff, and the fans. Because you're like, oh, my God, if this guy's hurt, stay hurt. So you're going to take time with Lindor because, again, you're hoping, look at the stretch run. We've got all these guys coming back. We keep saying Trade it. deadline acquisition. Yeah, you got to go out and, and, and make a little bit of a splash. I think this is the time where you make a splash. This is the time where you go out there and say, you know what? we got to show these fans that, you know, we're invested and that the five-year plan is definitely has to uh, get sped up. I like a five-year plan. I like a three-year plan. But you got to take it while it's, while it's hot. And if the team can go on a nice little stretch and give themselves a little bit of a cushion. You got to get somebody that's going to be able to help, you know, really put some thump into this lineup and take you into September with a nice four or five game lead at least. Amazing but true podcast where we go from Space Mountain to Splash Mountain all in one show. Make a splash, Mets. It's time. 69-86-2021 World Series champions. Here they come. Uh, Speaking of Space Mountain, I saw Space Jam over the weekend oh and my god was it bad and you don't go in expecting space jam to be like this oscar winning film you know it's a kid's movie but it was painful and i don't remember i mean i saw space jam as a kid but you re-watch space jam when you're older and you still enjoyed it you know you enjoy Mm -hmm. the corniness you enjoy the actor the cast bill murray's in there i mean lebron Mm -hmm. was made mj look like an oscar winner lebron was a terrible actor and i know a lot of people on social media and be like oh i really enjoyed space jam too it was it was fun it was a fun family i'm like did you watch the same thing because i'm someone who loves dumb and corny movies and i binge watched high school musicals one through three over covid and loved every second of it and i thought i would like and it was just 
brutal. Everything was all over the place. It was just got so confusing at times. And I didn't really laugh. There was no like laughter in it. Live action. So the difference between LeBron's version and MJ's version, when MJ did it, it was something new where it was like Roger Rabbit and those kind of things where it was cartoons and live action, you know, live actors at the same time. That was, you know, groundbreaking kind of stuff. You would think all these years later, you'd be able to do it way better. Did you see Avatar? Did you see? We have all these movies, and I know they had a good budget for this thing because this thing has been planned and in the works for a while since LeBron came into the league, practically. And yet you go out there, and I liked the animation before. I liked the way it played out before. I Everybody said the same thing. You had to kind of do something better. If you've seen the Spider-Man movie, the Into the Multiverse, that animation was ridiculous. Ridiculously good. Like you're sitting there and, and you with the voices, the way it worked out, that was incredible animation. They're at a level of animation now that it shouldn't look that terrible. It shouldn't be that terrible. It shouldn't be that out of sync, especially an actor who's not acting with people that are, you know, characters that are actually there. But they've done such a great job of that throughout movie history. So I don't know. It was a failed attempt. Did you see at, it? You uh, saw it? I, I didn't. I saw enough of the clips and things like that and enough reviews from people that I consider movie buffs that I got better things to do with my time. Who would be Ebert and who would be Roper between us? Uh, are you Ebert? I'm Roper. Or am I Ebert? You're Roper. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know, but this gets a thumbs down. Two thumbs down here. And I said in the last show, you have time, go see it. Well, I changed my mind. You could save your time. <laughs> the best part of the movie was the air conditioning, the popcorn, the reclining seats, the airhead extreme bites, and the large cherry Diet Coke, you know, the machines that let you pick the different kinds of flavors. Oh, you're uh, a big fan of that. Big fan of those, yeah, because you add the cherry on top, and uh, the cherry on top always does the trick. Uh, we have an email here before we get to Ken Davidoff from our guy, Seth Orenstein. Remember him? Um, Guys, yeah. question for Nelson. As a former player in a 162-game season, is there really any really bad losses? How easy or hard is it for a team to recover from a bad loss like the Mets at Saturday as a golfer and bowler, you know that a player cannot control what has happened. Only what will happen, Seth. And he closes it with this, a great close here. If you, if you're a, a true, amazing, but true listener, you will understand this reference. He said the guy with drip from Jericho, New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Seth, man, he's, he's absolutely right. Is there losses that you take worse I mean, a loss is a loss. Uh, McCann did his post-game interview, and he said every loss, you know, it hurts. You know, you don't, you want to win every game, and I get that. You know, if you're on a streak like the Diamondbacks were where they lost, what was it, 20-something road games in a row, and yes, those kind of just get numbed out. But when you lose games that you're supposed to win, those are the ones that leave a mark. Those are the ones that put some doubt in you as a fan, and imagine as the player, right? You, six nothing. We got Seth Lugo and we got Diaz. You would take that bet in Vegas one million times out of one million times, right? Whoever live bet that when it was six nothing and they live bet the Pirates just, you know, paid off uh, all the oh, world's God, debt. Yes. So, 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 yes, there, there are losses that kind of you don't want them to linger, but they always will, especially every time the team goes through that little down period. You point it back to. This all started when that Pirates lost when they were up six nothing. So you have to though because it's such a long season. You have to have a short memory. So for a closer, 
hey, get me back out there tomorrow. That's why I don't think Diaz is going to be sat around like Chapman did for a week and a half. I think Diaz is going to be right back in there. I think uh, you know Lugo's going to be right back in there. So you don't have a choice either. So you have to get over those losses. And you look at you can look back later on and be like, oh, that sucked. But in the time being, when you're living in the moment as a player, you're worried about today's opponent. You're worried about after that game is over, you're worried about tomorrow's opponent. You can't go backwards. So unless you have a DeLorean and uh, you can go 88 miles an hour. I would not be mad if they went with May or Loop for now and let Diaz try and get his confidence back in. God, I mean, Luis Rojas' explanation. You, you, I mean, you, against against who? A, a lower leverage team? It, I mean, Pittsburgh's the bottom. No, put, put Diaz in like the seventh or eighth inning and like a two or three run game instead. But I mean, Rojas's explanation Saturday. I mean, oh my God, are we are we children? He said, "I really thought he missed uh, Lind- he really missed Lindor out there, having Lindor behind him to pep him up." You're a major league pitcher. Get out! I mean, come on. Well, you know what? It's funny. It, you know what's funny? I, I, I'm honestly going to tell you that that you knew after like he was getting wild. I kept saying, "I wonder if any of these guys have the balls to be that guy." to say, hey, time out, I'm going to go to the mound. Like, you know Lindor would have done it in a heartbeat. Keith Hernandez would have done it in a heartbeat back in his day. You know certain guys, they command that kind of, you know, A, respect, B, hey, they know the moment. They've been through the moments like that. You know, they've seen a closer implode on himself, and they're not just going to sit back and let it happen. So whether Guillaume needs to, you know, step up or whoever is playing in the infield, whether it's a McNeil, whether it's Pete Alonso, somebody's got to step up and just break, you know, break his concentration. McCann needs to go out there. Time, let me go talk to him. You can't just rely on the coach to do that because that's what you want you want guys that are that kind of caliber of not just worrying about themselves but hey let me break this this awful rhythm that he has right here and and get him out of his own mind we all know what it's like to to be on the field and and you're you're sitting there swimming in your own thoughts and you want to get somebody to you know call time out somebody come over to you and be like hey you know what do you want to go to eat after the game my treat just something like that (laughs) just break up that that level of concentration that's just not working and you can see that and I, I didn't see anybody do that and I think that's a huge thing especially for a catcher who tries to take control of a game he's watching his pitcher not even coming close to his target hey go out and talk to him I wish Rojas didn't say that I don't know I didn't think it needed to be mentioned that he needed Lindor out there he just no. sucked. he just needed to be better yes yes, yes. no I, I mean, see what you're saying I get it helps someone to talk to you the Spanish language connection and all, yes. everything there that absolutely there's definitely something there but I kind of wish he just didn't say that but thank God they won Sunday <sighs> feeling so much better you know i was i was i was texting you when it was six nothing i'm like emergency podcast right after the <laughs> i know i know yeah if they were if they lost you're having a game, daiquiri on the beach you're like oh god game, we, were doing, we were doing it right after the show ended but let me give you a quick story about uh, a, a pitching coach coming out to talk to me so my favorite pitching coach of all time Figgy's fables my favorite pitching coach of all time guy by the name of chuck niffin he was a left-handed pitcher who spent 13 years Ooh. 13 years exactly 11 years at the triple a level never got to the big leagues left-handed they signed him back every year. Every year he did well in AAA, never got released, and yet they never called him up to Montreal Expos. This is who he was. So he helped me deal with a lot of that stuff where I wasn't getting called up and I was putting up good numbers, and he's like, Puh, this is what happened to me, so I could relate. So one day, there's a couple guys on. I get my second out of the inning. I strike a guy out. He comes out all of a sudden after two outs, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? So he comes up, and I'm staring at right in the face, and he says, my wife's really mad at me. And I go, what? What are you talking about? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, she's pissed. She's not talking to me. And I go, what does that have to do with me right now? And he goes, oh, it's always about you. We can't just talk, right? I don't have problems. I get it. I see how this relationship works. And he turns around and just runs off the mound. And I'm like, what the hell did he just do? Why did he just do that? 
Turns out he tells me, I hate the manager. He was trying to get me to warm somebody up and I wasn't hearing it. I knew you were fine. He goes, and I just wanted to break up, you know, where you were because I wanted to make sure that you were focused on the next hitter and not thinking about everything that happened that inning. So those little things, those little tricks of coaches and good coaches, players are able to do that as well. So I can I can relate to it because I laughed my ass off and then I went in there and I go, don't ever do that again. Basically, he he went up to you. He's like, my wife left me, walks back to the dugout. <laughs> and, I went, and I was like, what does that have to do with me? He goes, oh, it's all about you. <laughs> Listen, your response in that moment in 2021 has to be, sir, this is a Wendy's. That, that's, the only, that's the only way you respond to that kind of comment. Figgy's Fables, exclusive here on Amazing But True. We've talked a lot. We're going to talk next on Amazing But True. As the, we'll, we'll tell you this, that the Mets face the Reds, Jared Eikhoff, Monday to be determined. The rest of the series, Thursday off day, and then they're back home for a long homestand. Can't wait. Friday against the Blue Jays. My social life has not been as full without Mets games to go to. What do I do with myself? We need to return home, and a lot of games against good teams. Reds have been good. Blue Jays have been on fire. The Braves are making moves. They got five with the Braves. That is a monster series next week especially if the Braves make some more moves and that is the week of the trade deadline so a lot of key baseball coming in the next 12 days that will determine a lot so be locked into your TVs despite the pain they make you go through the hair they make you pull out if you don't have hair, the blood pressure that has to rise and the cholesterol that has to rise that makes Mama Brown mad enjoy the ride enjoy Space Mountain Joining us now for the first time this season, I believe he was on with us last season. It's New York Post longtime baseball columnist Ken Davidoff. You can follow him on Twitter at Ken Davidoff. Read his stories in the post at nypost.com. And if you follow him on Twitter, you will be reminded of the Mets and Yankees prediction records. The Yankees one is not looking good for Ken. I think you said 97 wins. The Mets, what do you have at the Mets, Ken? 92? 90 and 72. That's looking pretty accurate as of now. One, one uh, good week away from being on target. Yeah, I mean, you know, a good second half run, they get 90 wins, and they probably won't even need that many to win what has been a brutal and at least you covered the game uh, over the weekend yesterday and what a win it was. Ken, I mean, that's a game that's a season-altering win and, and probably is a season-altering lose if you find a way to not come back from down 6 nothing after what happened on Saturday. Jake, I could not agree more. Uh, it, you know, you, you right. Saturday night, you get the walk-off Grand Slam, right? Then Sunday morning, hey, uh, Luis Rojas, uh, before, uh, you know, he starts to Zoom pregame news conference. Hey, everyone, I just have an announcement. Uh, Jacob DeGrom is going on the injured list. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> and so then that happens. Then the bottom of the first, holy crap, uh, that was historic. And then the, so then the comeback and the post to win, that's a pretty damn big deal, I think. How emotionally invested are you in, in, in these stories? Because you got to figure the roller coaster of this weekend and, and you, you're sitting there looking for stories to write, but these things are writing themselves right in front of your eyes. So how emotionally that roller coaster were you on all weekend? Well, for the emotions, uh, Nelson, it, it, it's very selfish. You know, I mean, I, I told my wife I'd be ready for our company at six o'clock last night uh, because, uh, you know, when, when the DeGrom injury and, and was announced, said, all right, well, that's my column. Then the bottom of the first happened, and all right, well, that's my column. You know, <laughs> then uh, the comeback happens, and that's so I got very emotional because I got in trouble with my wife. <laughs> I wasn't ready by six. 
There well, you, you weren't in Pittsburgh, so you didn't have Permanti Bros. But what was cooking for dinner that night? That had oh to, my had god, to this guy and his food—it's it's always about the food. It always comes around to food. Yeah. We're two no, questions actually, deep. We, we had wine and cheese with our company, and then we went out oh. to dinner later. Oh, fancy wine and cheese, Figgy! You like that? That's like a, a restaurant. A story of wine and cheese. Pinky's um, out. Pinky's are you out. a Perman- are you a Permanti Bros guy? Do you like? Permanti no, it's guys? funny, Jake. I, I've rarely made it to Pittsburgh all these years, uh, just because I, you know, with a, the, the unbalanced schedule now, and they never make the playoffs. Uh, so I haven't had too much Permanti Brothers. I feel like I've tried it once, but I, you know, I'm not. You know, it's not part of me. Well, we were trying to analyze. You know, starting today, I'm starting a new part of the show where. You know, wherever whoever our guest is or a figgy obviously has played there, what food they have there, what's what's a good site to visit in Pittsburgh. Now, Pittsburgh is known for its views and Primanti Bros. I don't know what else they have there uh, from the one time I went. Yeah, the Andy Warhol Museum is really, really oh, cool. Yeah. Mr. Rogers. Strong Museum. recommendation. I have a, is there any tourist thing for with Mr. Rogers? Yeah, they have an actual museum. They do. Is that right? What? Yes. Oh, I yes. love to see that. Oh, my God, they do. No, Pittsburgh is a, a big-time sleeper city. Like, it, 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 you hear the name Pittsburgh and it immediately depresses you. But then when you get there <laughs> and you go through the tunnel, maybe at night is a spectacular view. When you come through the tunnel and it opens up and you see all the bridges, everything's in yellow. The theme of Pittsburgh, black and yellow, everything. I love that. I think that's a, oh, that was a fantastic idea. Uh, when they when they created all the teams and kept kept every team in black and yellow because it's always going to be black and yellow season so it gave them some camaraderie the streets suck those little one-way streets up and through the mountains but you're right there are some spectacular views pittsburgh for me is, is if you have a chance to go definitely you go played watch there i forgot game. you played so you, you i was know there for the two inner... years yeah yeah i was there for two years i, lo- I loved it man what i loved i lived literally across the street from the ballpark it was a two block walk from the apartments that we were staying in. And then wasn't you, that before you know, PNC Park though? Or no, easy, bro. Come on. Three <laughs> rivers. I'm not that old. I didn't face <laughs> Willie Stargell and Dave Parker, but so it, it was it was a beautiful, like you could wake up, just take a nice little walk, stop and grab something to eat right across from the ballpark and go into the ballpark. At the end of the game, you literally were walking around with the fans. It was cool. It wasn't like, you know, you were worried about people all over you and on top of you. My second year, I got to move into a uh, one of the guys went on the DL for the rest of the season. He's like, my condo's available. I'm like, oh, excuse me. So <laughs> it was still two block, three block walk away from the ballpark right there on the water on the Allegheny. And uh, I enjoyed it. I love that ball park that ballpark is spectacular and those fans they're realistic they're the lovable losers of baseball and, and when i was there we actually had a charlie brown bobblehead day <laughs> they were the lovable losers and they just expected to be eh, okay at best they never had the pressure of oh we're gonna make the playoffs this year or or you know if this team doesn't win they're like ah, the pirates played they fun. were so bad that they had a nelson figueroa bobblehead day. not yet, not yet. We're, we're, we're actually working on that it's a bobble stick yeah. Well, next year we're gonna see we're gonna see Ken walking out of the Mister Roger Museum singing. You see a New York Post writer singing in the streets. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. All right, back to your regularly scheduled program. <laughs> uh, let's talk some Mets here now. Lindor is out here now. After you know, after all this news that happens that you you, you talked about Degrom, Lindor is now out till September. What do the Mets do here to kind of fill the void they have in the lineup with him out? Do you think they they stick with Guillaume, even VR at shortstop? Do they go get a Chris Bryant? What do they do here in the next twelve days before the trade deadline? 
Yeah, they have plenty to do, no doubt about it. I think starting pitching has to be the top priority, all the more so now with the DeGrom injury. The lineup to me is fascinating. How well J.D. Davis has hit since he came back. I know he's not Greg Nettles out there or Brooks Robinson, but I think he outhits his mistakes Chris Bryant, I like because of his versatility, because he wouldn't necessarily be taking any one person's job, right? You could put him in third base one day, outfield the next day. I'm not really sure how he helps fill the shortstop void, unless it's just a matter of, all right, now we don't need Gourmet for third at all, or VR. So I, I, I guess he's another piece. But yeah, Bryant, Bryant certainly looks like a great fit. Uh, but, you know, if I were running the Mets, my top priority is a starting pitcher. At least a starting pitcher. I think you have to get a starting pitcher, a bullpen piece. They need two arms, two legs, a head, all these different things because you're looking at now if Lindor is out, you're not worried so much about the bat because it hasn't been there most of the season. The defense, yes, Guillermo can play some solid defense for you and he can swing the bat a little bit from the, you know, from the left side. VR also has played a role more so than we thought he would as a fill-in player. I'm not sure about the Chris Bryant. I just don't, it's not even a, a fit kind of thing for me because what are you going to give up for a rental uh, of that caliber, right? So I'm looking for an arm that's going to be here for more than one year. I don't know. I, I think they have so many options and I don't want to see Blankenhorns and McKinney's and those guys anymore, of course, but I want to get somebody, I think that, see if they can make a splash, a big name. You know what I mean? Like, Get one of these bad teams with a guy on a contract that's, you know, maybe too much for them at the time and make a splash. Do something uh, that's going to help you in the long term as well. I just don't know because Chris Bryant can be very streaky as well. That's all we need is a guy to come in here and not be able to handle the pressure of New York, especially, you know, for a playoff push. They got lucky with Cespedes. I don't know if there's going to be a guy that's going to make that Cespedes type impact. But do you need that? You would love it if this team can just hit their weight combined. It would make a big difference. So, yes, two arms are definitely what I think is top of my list. Yeah, I'll just say this about Chris Bryant, Figgy. If you look historically, position players and even infielders specifically, the price to get those guys last few years has not been that high. If you look at what the Dodgers gave up for Manny Machado, it ultimately was not a lot, you know, because there has to be a fit there, right? I mean, everyone needs pitching, so the the price for pitching is always high. But the Mets, I think Bryant can fit there because of his versatility, because of the Mets' needs, and even more so now with the Lindor injury. Uh, I, I see a fit there, and if the price is not exorbitant, I like the idea of bringing a guy like that. I mean, talk about pressure. This guy played for the 2016 Cubs. He made the last out, right? He, uh, he had the assist on the final out. I'm not worried about him handling pressure. And I think he is the kind of guy who can give a jolt. You're right. He is streaky. There is a risk of, of it just imploding. But I, I do think these guys are strong enough. That, yeah, if, if he sucks, then they, they just kind of write him off. Uh, so I do like the idea of a Brian trade. So would you give up Mauricio for him? Oh, absolutely not. No, not for a two-month rental for him. Right. I, I, don't, I, I mean, I don't know what it's going to take. But, but I don't I, think it's going to take a Mauricio. I really yeah. don't. I'm, I'm just worried because you're just getting J.D. Davis back, right? And that's going to be the main guy that probably loses time because it's not going to be Dom Smith losing time. It's not going to be Conforto losing time. So Bryant. I would do if it's a package of now everyone talks about the packages. It's you know Barrios coming with Donaldson, Hendricks maybe coming with Bryant. If you're talking Hendricks with, you're saying with Bryant Hendricks, you wouldn't give up Mauricio for the pair. Oh, I would. Yeah. I I don't think the Cubs yes. are going to give him up. Yeah. Exactly. Well, maybe in a package. Who knows? That's 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 a, that's a full teardown for the Cubs to give up Hendricks. Hendricks was signed for a few more years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, yeah. That's no, that's, <laughs> oh yeah. That's yeah. why you want him. But I yeah I I don't. I don't think that's real. Is Aaron Loop 
in consideration to replace Edwin Diaz, or is Edwin Diaz just allergic to the Pittsburgh Pirates? <laughs> I mean, it's very interesting uh, moving forward on Diaz. I mean, yesterday I asked uh, Louis after the game, I said, Why, what was up with Trevor May closing? Uh, and he said that was the plan going into the day to give Diaz and Lugo a blow after their very rough Saturday nights. I, yeah, I don't think you can bail on Diaz quite yet, but I, I think the leash is getting shorter, no doubt about that. Do the Mets hold it off here? A lot of fans were – there's fans who quit after the weekend, and I'm like, if the season ends today, they're in the playoffs, so you could quit, but they're going to be playing in October. Do you think everything gets right? You know, DeGrom's going to be okay. Door comes back, they make a couple trades, and they go on a run. Do they win the division by default because everyone else has been bad? What do you what do you see coming in the second half? Well, Jake, as you referenced at the beginning, I tend to stick to my preseason predictions. I did have the Braves finishing first and the Mets getting the wild card in 1972. Let's face it, that looks unlikely. It looks like the, both wild cards are coming from the NL West. The Braves, I mean, God bless them, they're trying, right? They're not giving up, but man, are they down a lot of horses, right? When you talk, obviously, Acuna's out for the year, the Ozuna disaster, pitching uh, injuries. And how are uh, they uh, making so, moves? Like, they went and got Jock Peterson and Steven Voigt, and the Mets are starting Jared Eikhoff tonight. Like, how, how are the Mets <laughs> not going after getting someone? And these guys get two pretty good players. Like on back-to-back days. Steven Vogt? You want to get Steven Vogt? He's Vogt? a good backup catcher. I mean, he's better than... Better than Tomas Nito? Uh, no, but I'd want to get okay. a pitcher that's to that equation. You know, a backup fifth starting pitcher. You have Not- Gerard Eikhoff. Congratulations. Oh, <laughs> so that's the Steven Vogt uh, He's about to be DFA'd more... T- he's tied with Figgy for the most times DFA'd right. by a Met. So <laughs> he's going to get the fourth, and uh, Figgy will no longer be tied for the record. He's hoping for him to get DFA'd, so he's not in the record books. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Bottom line is, yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if they if they did not win this division. All right, good. All right, so Ken has not panicked. He's not in Panic City as uh, Frank the Tank and some other Mets fans are. Ken Davidoff, follow him at Ken Davidoff on Twitter. Read his stories in the post, nypost.com. Ken, appreciate you uh, hopping on for the first time this season. We'll talk to you again soon. You got it, guys. Be good. 'll say adios to episode 70 the Mason Williams we hardly knew you edition of amazing but true our Mets podcast from the New York Post thanks to you Jake and Brian Mungia for producing the show give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. send us an email at amazing but true pod at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 845-391-3660 for Nelson Figueroa I'm Jake Brown we'll be back on Thursday after the Mets three-game series in Cincinnati with the Reds Enjoy the games and let's go Mets.